This is Cole. And this is Ron. We are the creative team. Asking the tough questions like, Hey Cole. Yeah, Ron? What if Hulkamania never ran wild? Hey, Ron. Yes, Cole? What if Rick wasn't ravishing? That's rude. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Cole, I got an idea. I can see that. Hey, Ron, I got an idea. I love it. My sister, Candace Murray. Look, up in the sky, it's the creative team. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of... The Creative Team. I am your host, Cole Dawson, and with me, as always, my hashtag team partner, Ron Kilborn. Ronald, uh, how are you doing today? I had a lot of fun last week with the Vader episode. What'd you think? Uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I don't know why I said that, but I, too, had a great time last week. Vader, as stated numerous times, has been at the tippy top of our fandom But, you know, we're going to keep the theme going because at the tippy top of the tippy top of our fandom, it is well documented that (laughs) Brett the Hitman Hart is our uh, probably first, second, and third on the Mount Rushmore, if (laughs) if we're being honest. And then the fourth is just debatable, whoever wants to be on it. But uh, today we're going to be talking about the dark times of our favorite wrestler of all the times, but recreating it the same way we recreated Vader's uh, run in WWE because I feel like we owe it to the Hitman to bring him justice to his run in WCW. And hopefully, since we're rebooking this, this he's not going to get concussed and all of history is going to be changed. And uh, he eventually ends up back in WWF or WWE at that point, at some point for one last good run. But, you know, we can't change history that much. It still is what it is. And uh, But, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, in jest that Brett's like 1, 2, and 3 on our Mount Rushmore. It's really not that much of, ex- of an exaggeration. Like, Eddie Guerrero is my all-time number two, but there's a sizable gap for me between where Bret Hart ranks and Eddie Guerrero is in my personal fandom. Now, I will say there are other people who are more athletic and more exciting sort of than Brett actually is in his matches. But let's just be clear for me. The reason that Brett Hart is head and shoulders above everyone else is not necessarily because he will, everything he did in the ring was exciting. The thing is when you watch Brett Hart's body of work, you see that Brett in all his matches is kind of the same. He's the same guy. He's great. He does what he does. But every time he's in the ring across from somebody, they are having the best match of their life. And they all of the sudden become magically better than they've ever been when they're in the ring with Brett. And there's only really one. Well, I will say two now. Over the last couple of years, I've added someone to this list. But Daniel Bryan, for me, is kind of the other guy who no matter who he's in the ring with, they look better than they've ever looked. And he elevates them. But I'm going to add Kazuchika Okada to that list. I mean, and even more so because uh, Daniel Bryan's a little more athletic and impressive, I, I would say, than Brett. But Okada is like the next, ver- like just version two of Brett. Like he does what he does. He doesn't do anything that's super spectacular. He's not doing springboards and dives and all this stuff. But no matter what, at the end of the night, Okada had the match of the night, 
and it can't be because of his opponents every single night when night after night after night, card after card, year after year, he's always in the best match of the night, even though he didn't do anything super spectacular or standout, but his opponents uh, elevated their talents for that evening. So do you have a similar feeling about Brett? Is that why he's your number one? Yes, and like the whole Mount Rushmore conversation can be a whole episode in itself because you know wrestling is subjective you know you got your you got your big stars you got your technical wrestlers you got your comedy wrestlers you got it's a it's all genre but you have you have to talk about the complete total package the whole thing of excellent excellence of execution it's not an accident he, Bret Hart is literally good at everything like he can be that star he can he can cut that promo uh, he can do those moves. He he enhances everybody he works with. Like, you know, just the little things. Like, hitting the turnbuckle is something that, you know, doesn't get talked about enough. Like, he would make that look like the most deadliest thing on the planet. He was, he was a genius at telling stories with his moves and his facial expressions and everything. Bell to bell, one of the best to ever do it. So, he, he had enough of everything as far as the entire spectrum of what, of what it takes to be a professional wrestler. And there's only a handful of those guys. And I think he did it the best. If I have to think about all of Brett's career to try to find like a sort of bad match or a match that didn't live up to expectations, like literally the only person I can think of is Ric Flair, that those matches could have been better. But I, but that's just because we know they didn't like each other. They had egos about it, and they just didn't want to come together in the ring to have great matches. But I will say all their matches were like three and a half, four-star matches. They were fine. It's just that, you know, you would think the best worker in, you know, from NWA, WCW versus the best worker possibly ever, but definitely in the WWF, that they would just steal the show, tear the house down, have six-star matches, and they just didn't. So that's like maybe the only negative I could come up with if I have to, if I'm pinned down saying who's the one guy Brett really didn't get more out of his flair, but flair didn't get more out of Brett. So it is what it is. I wish we could put egos aside, which is always the hardest part of booking this stuff. Much like last episode when I wanted to put Vader over on the ultimate warrior, but I know it wasn't going to happen. So <laughs> I mean, it's that old crass expression, you know, even the worst blowjob is still pretty good. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think the the old the expression goes, it's like sex is kind of like pizza. When it's great, it's the best thing ever, and when it's bad, it's still pretty good. <laughs> there you go. You know, three and a half star blowjob ain't bad. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And Bret Hart is like that's it. His bad matches are like three, three and a half stars. And uh, I just the list goes on and on of guys that he like like he full on made a guy Tom McGee. Uh, they, they, he made Vincent Mann think he had the next Hulk Hogan because he went out there with this guy, Tom McGee, that couldn't, you know, was just kind of okay, but Brett accentuated his athleticism, you know, threw in the backflip spot cause he knew he could do it and made this guy look like he could be a big star. I mean, just Brett had great matches with Skinner. He had a good match with Virgil. He had a good match with the berserker. Like the, his first WWF title run was really interesting in that Brett didn't get like the classic big buildup like everyone else did to be anointed the champion. It really kind of felt like an out of nowhere. Oh fuck. Brett's the champion. He beat Flair. Cool. 
Yeah, some of his like really good matches, like from '95 when business was uh, like you know pretty low. He had that run with Hakushi. Then uh, he had the feud over his jacket with the pirate, and even that was cool as a kid. Uh, I just you know he would take anything and make it better somehow. Like you know, Hakushi wasn't really doing much of anything until the feud with Brett. Like he he even made a feud with Lawler at the time. Like you know, serious. You know, Lawler was you know. For better or worse, you know, the comedy villain, but he actually, Brett actually wrestled him in a way that made Jerry Lawler pose as a threat. And, you know, how do you, how do you just have the talent to flip that switch like that? To go from Burger King, Burger King, getting pies in the face from Dwight the Clown to, oh shit, he might actually have a shot of beating Bret Hart. It's because of the way that Brett is selling for the guy. Selling is like the most, is an art form in itself when it comes to wrestling and Brett perfected that. Now, I will say, I, I don't think that Jerry Lawler's WWF run did him any favors as far as the way people look at him in, in his place in wrestling history. Exactly. But uh, to be fair, Jerry Lawler is one of the all-time elite great talents in the history of the business. Like, Bobby Heenan gets the credit, even though he really didn't ever wrestle on top or, or you know, because he was so small compared to everyone else. But when people watch Bobby Heenan's work and his bumps and his selling, like people say Bobby Heenan is the most talented person in the history of the wrestling business, I would argue Jerry Lawler belongs in that conversation and maybe even a little higher than Bobby Heenan because Jerry Lawler was a hell of a worker and he's a great commentator. He could be a great manager. Like Jerry Lawler could do everything and it's a guy who doesn't get enough love. So we're going to give him some love today just on this very one topic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Lawler belongs in that elite rut. He's a guy that belongs in the Mount Rushmore debate. If we're talking about talent and he doesn't get enough love. So I'm glad you brought that up. So we could just send a little love Jerry Lawler's way. But, yes, ruling the territories to this day. And I'm also glad you mentioned that mentioned talking about the total package because we're going to talk about Lex Luger today too, I'm sure, since we're going WCW 97, 98, 99. Um, but we'll get there. But, you know, without stalling any more time. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you had the pregnant pause there before you said stalling. Your comedic timing is on point today, Ronald. <laughs> Would you consider it Ron point? And I'm back to not being funny. But yeah, no. What should have been stalled, segue time, was what actually took place in WCW for Bret Hart. They could have stalled that for a long time and we would have been much happier than what we ended up getting. But today, the goal is to rewrite history and come up with the best storyline for Bret Hart to come into WCW and take over the way he should have, the way it was meant to be, because he is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And that is going to play a big role in what I would like to keep in what actually took place. But let's get into what actually took place. Cole, you want to run us through what actually took place for our hero, Bret Hart? What actually happened? God damn it. <laughs> well, okay. Now, so before we get into this full disclosure, um, I was a loyal, very loyal WWF supporter in 1996-7-8-9. And uh, it wasn't really until the 2000s when I got involved in the business that I, I became more of a student of the game and went back and watched more 
outside of WWF. Um, I will say when I first started watching wrestling in 92, 93, I was watching WCW on a weekly basis, but that quickly died off and I became solely a WWF guy. And even my favorite wrestler in the history of all time could not get me to turn on Nitro and watch this bullshit. And uh, so I did not watch any of this when it happened. So I'm going off feeling a little bit, but um, I have gone back since then and watched most of these matches, the big pay-per-views. It's one of my favorite things about, uh, let's just say, the Conrad Thompson empire of podcasts is that they talk about these shows, these matches. They talk about what happened. And when Eric Bischoff did the Bret Hart WCW episode, I went back and binged watch all of the major Bret Hart matches and pay-per-views. And it was a lot of fun, but it was it was very frustrating for me. I got to say, as a Bret Hart fan, I'm glad I didn't watch this shit because I would have been really frustrated on a weekly basis as to how they're just completely wasting the greatest wrestler in the world at the time and for my money ever. Um, so we'll start right into it. The night after the Montreal Screwjob. Eric Bischoff goes on television and announces that WCW has in fact signed Brett the Hitman Hart and he will be here very shortly. Um, so that spills over into December. Brett Hart does not debut until just before Starcade when he makes his Nitro debut and he cuts a nice little promo. And then he is dubbed the special referee for the Eric Bischoff versus Larry Zabisco match as the enforcer to make sure, you know, which I guess it works. The storyline, you, you know, Brett wants to make sure this is a clean finish that nobody gets involved. He just got screwed over by a referee. So he's going to be a referee and make sure this goes down as according to plan. I was already upset when that <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah. See, it's going to take us a little bit longer to get through this part this time because we're just going to we're going to bitch about it the whole way. I don't care. Interject anytime you want. <laughs> so, later that night at Starcade, uh, uh obviously Hogan and can't just have a clean finish on this wonderful glorious storyline they built up for months and months and months leading to Sting versus Hogan and uh so the referee's bullshit Brett comes out, interjects in his match, and declares that Sting is the winner in a convoluted bullshit finish at Starcade, which is their their WrestleMania in WCW. Regardless of what Eric Bischoff tries to say now, December every year was what you're building towards in WCW, and uh, this is what they did. And then it was some bullshit that happened after that. But the funny thing is, Brett cost Hogan the title. They didn't go there. Bret Hart feuds with Ric Flair. That's his opening feud. And now I will say I did enjoy this match. I, I thought it was fantastic. His little feud with Flair was great. But so in January of 1998 now is where we are. Bret beats Flair. Good for him. He has his first Nitro match in February against Brian Adams. Beats Brian Adams. His next pay-per-view match you is You go from sold. Flair to Crush. Good job, yeah, exactly. everyone. Good exactly. job. We're off to a great start. Yeah, yes. they had me with the Flair stuff, but then like once I once I was reviewing the notes, I was like Flair, Brian Adams. Okay. Yeah, Hogan, Hogan. Oh, he's gonna wrestle Flair first, okay, and then Crush, and now he's gonna wrestle a broken down Kurt Henning, which still great match they had at sold out. You know, Henning and Brett is always gonna be money, 
because Brett, even even a broken down Kurt Henning, Brett's going to get the best out of him. It's going to be great. Um, but then we're in April, and we already have the first heel turn. Brett turns heel. He helps Hogan beat Savage to regain the title on Nitro, and we're off and running with the guy who was easily the biggest babyface in the world because he got screwed over by Vince McMahon. And four months into his run, he is now a heel and he's helping the NWO. He's not an official member of the NWO. He's just a consultant or whatever the fuck they called it. And at this point, the bed has been shit completely. There's no saving this turd. They've already fucked everything. All the momentum, uh, all the momentum that was built from his Montreal screw job, he was the uh, he was the focal point. He was the talking point of the wrestling world. You could have built upon that and had him be the hero and prevail and overcome that, but you went this way. Yep, and so that led to his second ever Nitro match on June second, second against Chris Benoit, which I'm sure was great. I don't think I've watched the Nitro match. I did watch the Owen Hart tribute match he had with Benoit, and it's phenomenal. Ladies and gentlemen, go out of your way. Watch Bret Hart versus Chris Benoit. Even if you you know, you know have certain feelings about Chris Benoit, this is a great wrestling match. Go watch it and just enjoy professional wrestling. Anyway, uh, moving on from June to the Bash at the Beach, Bret Hart gets his first title opportunity in WCW against Booker T for the television title, and Bret hits him with the chair and gets disqualified. Um, so he didn't lose, but no title for Bret to, you know, and now we're six months in, and he's wrestling mid-card guys and getting disqualified on purpose so he can be a dick. Um, but then, in July, he got his first Nitro main event, uh, for the title for the U.S. United States Championship against Diamond Dallas Page, and he gets a little help from his friend the Giant in the NWO, becomes the United States Champion, which was great. Uh, and then that lasted for all of twenty so twenty one days, and in August he loses the belt to Lex Luger. Oh, so good. Wait, wait, wait. Could... Let's stop there because before he loses the United States title, we touched on this beforehand, but he was in. Mad TV, and he was hosting Mad TV on a special skit, and I I brought this to your attention. You had never seen this, and I thought I had never bre- seen this. Yes. I'm so glad you brought this to light because it's incredible. Yes, and just bullet point of what the skit is, and actually turns into a wrestling angle. Will Sasso is playing Jesse Ventura. He's the governor of Minnesota, so he hires Bret Hart as his head of security, and the press doesn't really think that's wise if he wants to be taken seriously as a politician by hiring more wrestlers. So Bret starts bullying the press until he eventually is, quote-unquote, really hurting one of the press uh, actors, and she starts selling for real and throwing her wig off, and they stop production, and then Will Sasso like kind of confronts Brett, and Brett beats the shit out of him, and cuts a promo on the Mad TV audience. And like watching this live, I'm like I'm like 13 or 12, and I'm like, holy shit, this is like really happening on a show, blah 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 blah. And I mean, what it led to was god awful, but it made, <laughs> it, it made my head turn while it was happening in front of me on a show that you know had nothing to do with wrestling. So it was cool that way. It was a great example of how wrestling can get you hooked in. Uh, so I thought that was cool. It ended up it ended up with a match between Bret Hart and Will Sasso, which is just an awful idea on paper, but well executed as far as starting a feud. Anyway, continue. So yeah, so after beating DDP, he has a match with Will Sasso. 
And then within, you know, within three weeks of winning the title, he loses it to Lex Luger on Nitro only to come back the very next night and win it back from Lex Luger on Thunder. And this is just fantastic. Uh, then in he lost a battle royal match or he lost his match at Fall Brawl. Wasn't a big deal. Um, and then in September, Bret Hart comes out and turns babyface on television and apologizes to the fans and challenges Hulk Hogan to a title match. And Hogan says, yeah, bro, let's do it. And then they go out there. The match gets started. Bret hurts his knee and Sting comes out. And then Brett was playing possum and his knee was fine and he beat the shit out of Sting. And so Brett turned babyface and heel the same night. <laughs> so he confused with Sting. So we got that Scorpion, you know, the Scorpion Deathlock versus the Sharpshooter. Good for them. Um, I mean, at least Brett came out on top against Sting. That's cute. But uh, I still. But I will say. This led to probably the coolest thing that they actually did with Brett. We got Sting and the Ultimate Warrior versus Bret Hart and a heel or versus a heel Bret Hart and Hulk Hogan at uh, in October uh, on a TV on a pay-per-view or no on TV on Nitro. We got Hogan and Brett tagging against Ultimate Warrior and Sting. And that's probably just a little cool match that that. I'm glad it's a little footnote that it's a thing that happened. It's one of those kind of silly dream matches where we got Sting and Warrior tagging again after 20-some years. And, uh, yeah, good. Good for them. I still wish, you know, Bret wasn't a heel. But fuck it. Whatever. At least that happened. And then Halloween Havoc, Bret Hart injures Sting, gets the win, moves on, uh, only to come back on Nitro nights later and lose the United States title to Diamond Dallas Page. Oh my God, what are they doing? Uh, and then a month later, Brett wins the belt back from Paige. And then in f- and not much happens until February where Brett loses the title to Piper. Uh, in March, though, of 1999, finally, finally, we get back to Brett being a babyface. And uh, he comes out in Canada, cuts the great promo, does the, by far, the best angle that he did in WCW Goldberg comes out spears, Brett, Brett has the big chest plate on, uh, you know, much, much like in the, uh, back to the future angle where, where, you know, they, they had the gunshot, the gun battle, but the guy was wearing a, a armor on his chest. So he ended up winning, uh, outsmarting the bad guy. And, uh, it was really cool. Goldberg, Goldberg was knocked out. It was great. And they capitalized on that angle big time by not having Goldberg wrestle Brett. <laughs> because I decisions. Mean, yeah, well, Brett ended up, did end up uh, getting a little hurt, and uh, so he was out for a little bit, so they kind of ignored that. Um, but September, Brett comes back. He's officially a babyface. He's cool, um, because Owen Hart passed away, unfortunately. And uh, how do you make Brett? How, I mean, I how did you ever make Brett heel after the screw job in the first place? A, but how do you continue to have him be a heel when his brother just died tragically? And, and publicly. that's what, yeah, and publicly. And that's when October fourth of ninety nine we get the Brett versus Chris Benoit uh, match. It's an absolutely incredible, um, totally fantastic. 
And then we did get it finally in October after this angle from what, March? What did I say? Yeah, March. Finally in October, we get the first Brett versus Goldberg match. <laughs> Long-term storytelling. Yeah, eight months later. And uh, so we get we get that match. Brett wins the the United States title from Goldberg because why why isn't Goldberg the U.S. champion in 1999 after the big run and the streak and all that shit? Why? Of course he's the United States champion and not the world champion. Uh, but only to lose that title to Scott Hall in a ladder match in November, and then finally we've got Brett winning the world title, the WCW Championship, after two years of being in the goddamn company <laughs> in a tournament where he defeated Perry Saturn, Billy Kidman, Chris Benoit and sting to become the champion. Uh, one week later, he's defending the belt against Goldberg. And that of course, unfortunately is when, Oh no, sorry. Before we get to Brett and Goldberg, Brett and Goldberg were the fucking tag team champions. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mixed in here, they won them on December 7th, and then on December 13th, lost the titles to Hall and Nash, leading to the unfortunate match between Brett and Goldberg, where Brett did get injured, and it was his last, you know, hurrah. I know he had a couple matches after that, because they talked about it, he worked the night after, he got this major concussion, and did the figure four on the post, and, you know, bounced his head off the concrete, and all that shit, um, but at Starcade that year, Brett that that was the last uh you know big match for Brett and uh I don't know about you but reading all of that just pisses me off it's very upsetting to me and uh I hate fucking Eric Bischoff and WCW for what they did I I thought this was a critical point in the history of WCW where they could have officially buried Vince McMahon I mean I know that WWF was picking up and it was getting hotter but when they brought Brett in, it absolutely could have ignited the NWO feud, WCW stuff, and they absolutely could have taken it to a new level. And and even Austin and Mr. McMahon would have had a hard time competing with a, a WCW where Bret Hart is a top guy and he's a serious threat to Hogan and the NWO. And I just don't know what the fuck. Do you have any thoughts on this just absolute missed abortion this was no this was a full-on abortion this wasn't missed this was a calculated abortion uh <laughs> yeah no it's <laughs> it, it was uh heartbreaking you know for lack of a better term it's just even re even revisiting it just you know with your description is uh hard to listen to for the subject we are talking about bret hart ha has one of the the best runs ever and you you get him at the most pivotal point in his career and the business's uh you know uh status like like one of the biggest things that ever took place was the Montreal Screwjob at the time and you follow up with what we just discussed you put the title on him two years after you bring him in it's just it it's gut wrenching that they had nothing to do they they had no plans for him no real concrete plans that they could have built to um yeah it's just it's just rough. It's rough, and I can't wait to talk about what could have been. Well, but not even that it took two years to finally put the title on him. Like, I'm okay if they didn't put the title on him at some point, but fuck, man. they Like, he never even had a real match with Hulk Hogan. Like, he ne he came in 
as the mo the biggest star in the business next to Hulk Hogan at that point. And they didn't even attempt to go there. That like, doesn't work turned, for me, brother. They, they turned him heel specifically to keep him away from Hogan because, of course, the biggest babyface ever created by by the Montreal Screwjob needs to be a heel within four months of being in the company. Like, what the fuck? No. Like, who booked this shit? Honestly. Yeah, you had a golden opportunity. I don't think they could have beat WWF with, with Stone Cold on top, but I think they could have not fizzled out starting then. They could have been neck and neck for a long period of time and just kept going if they would have just booked that correctly. Um or at least lasted a lot longer than they did, because man, yeah, just how how do you how do you fuck up Bret Hart? That's just that 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 sounds like that sounds harder to do than running with him. It, it, I'm almost impressed that they were every they that that they were able to bury Bret Hart as well as they did, because it's it's ridiculous. But enough about the horrible horrible actual happenings of what took place. Let's get into our fantasy what would you do differently or would you like me to go first this week uh it, it, i as always it's dealer's choice buddy if you if you're feeling it and you have a great idea and you know right where you want to start you can go right ahead let's give this a whirl for every bret hart fan out there listen to this and you let us know what you like and what you don't like but if i had the pencil i would completely scrap his starcade uh, contributions for 97. That, st- that night was meant to be Sting's night. Don't fuck with it at all. Let Sting have his win. He overcame the NWO. They spent a year on it. Let it, let the payoff happen. And let's not, let's take the politics out. The next night, Bret Hart debuts and we have that flare, we have that flare off. You know, I, I do like that. Just let's, let's start, let's start right out the gate and then that leads to him and Flair, and he beats the man. I'm fine with that. But from there, he needs to right some wrongs, and I think he needs to go right up to Hall and Nash and say, hey, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but I just came from a shitty situation, and you're the first two people I want to talk to because <laughs> on behalf of your boy, and that just beats the shit out of Hall and Nash. And, that, and I think that would get Hogan's attention. And, you know, I don't even think the Hogan-Brett thing... I think they having a match and just seeing who's the better guy means more to me than them having a title involved. I think Sting should be off doing his own thing for a bit because we'll get to that. I think we should have, like, you know, save that, you know, down the road, him and uh, Sting for the title, Sharpshooter versus Scorpion Deathlock, because that's that's a good idea. Just not yet. We got to get to Brett and Hogan because that's a wrong that needs to be right, like, long overdue, like back in 93. So I think like the way he gets to Hogan is to get some little payback for what just happened to him in Montreal by the Click's friend, and beat the shit out of Hogan and uh, uh, Hall and Nash, and that gets Hogan's attention, which sparks a big feud, promo battle between Hogan and Brett, and they just see who the better man is at whatever pay per views next, um, and they actually fucking have the match. And you know you can even build on this. Hogan's got the NWO. Hogan can fucking screw over Bret Hart. And then they can have another match where, you know, no NWO is allowed at ringside, cage match, that shit, something. But have a program, a best of three, and have Brett move forward on top, finally. 
Just let him prevail over Hogan, and then we can have the slow build to him versus Sting, you know, for the title. And I think that's where you anoint Brett as your WCW champion by overcoming Hogan and then overcoming the guy that overcame Hogan a year prior. And then from there, you can kind of just have Brett be the hero of WCW. This is where you go. Like that, you can build, if you tell the story correctly, you can build that in a year's time and then have Brett just completely take over and just be the hero to beat. Like he can be like the, the dominant babyface champion that WCW never had since Hogan. So I, that's about where I would go. Uh, there's a lot of dream matches that I would definitely throw in there. Maybe even toyed around with the idea of having a WCW version of the Hart Foundation. Um, but I didn't really have a, a decent enough roster to put around Brett. But I just see more. <laughs> I just see more. Uh, I see Brett as more of like the, you know the hero that comes in and just changes the business and changes the game. So, yeah, I mean, just little things like that could have meant the world to this pivotal moment in history. But, you know, that's my take. Okay, so I guess I have a little more detail than I thought. (laughs) So for me, um, I would not have done the flair thing then at all. So by the end of 97, they built up to this sting and everything. It is time to dismantle the NWL at this point. It is stale or it's getting stale and they needed something. They needed a shot in the arm. They needed to be made to look beatable. They needed to, this is where they needed to start doing some jobs in WCW needed to build a squad to come back. So instead of waiting till after Starcade, um, what I do at Starcade, I don't announce Brett. I do not make an announcement that Bret Hart has signed with WCW at all. Fuck that. I did. No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm doing is I'm going into Starcade with this sting and Hogan match that I've built up for eight fucking months. And I'm going to do, this is going to be like full attitude era angle. So it fits. It works. It's going to be perfect. The NWO is going to be heavily involved in this sting Hogan match. And I mean the heavy hitters, Hall and Nash, like everybody, the top guys, the giant, all those guys are going to be involved in this match. And it's going to be everybody against Sting. Well, what I'm going to also do is I'm going, since I've got the giant, I've got Hall and Nash and whoever the ancillary extras, Scott Norton, whoever's in the NWO are involved in, they're all trying. There's a giant ref bump, okay? And then all these guys start getting involved. Well, the, the WCW roster has had enough. So I've got DDP, I've got Flair, and I've got Lex Luger coming out to help try to make this save. But when it's all said and done, the, the numbers from the NWO are just too much, and they're putting the boots to lose. I mean, this is a serious ref bump, guys. Like, this isn't like, oh, he accidentally got run into. No, this motherfucker got, like, kicked in the fucking face, and he's out, okay? <laughs> so this is like a five, like a three-minute angle in the middle of this match right here. So it's turning into bedlam, but the NWO is taking control. And this would be the one time where I would have someone hit some music. Flair and DDP, all these other run-ins, no music. Well, I would hit this new music that nobody knows what it is. And here comes Bret Hart through the fucking curtain. And behind him 
is the entire rest of the WCW locker room. Anybody that's not NWO affiliated is behind Brett. He is le- I'm making it clear that he is leading this roster. He is not going to deal with this bullshit. And they're going to come down clean house. Brett is getting in that ring. He's fucking taking out giant. He's saying like, that's it. And they're going to chase off the NWO. A new ref is going to come down. Sting and Hogan get back to their feet. Sting convincingly beats Hogan. Scorpion death drop. Clearly Hogan is saying, I quit. I quit. I'm making sure that yes, he's tapping. Whatever it is, is flat out right there on camera or the microphone picks him up saying I give up I tap yes I submit and then Sting gets a parade him and Brett embrace is the last thing that's seen on this pay-per-view WCW guys lift Sting up on their shoulders all of that and then the next night on Nitro I have Brett come out with Sting and DDP and Lex Luger and Ric Flair as the faces of the Team WCW, basically, the unified leaders of this run. And they're in there, and Brett's cutting this promo. It's like, I, you know, everyone knows I got screwed. The NWO's been over here. They've got a referee in their pocket. They've been screwing guys. This is done. I'm not standing up for this. The, you know, this ruined my life, ruined my career, this screw job. Everything from now on, WCW, things are changing. I'm the new sheriff in town. I'm going to make sure I've got Sting's back and he's the world champion and the NWO is not going to take it off of him, not while I'm around, right? And this is all going to lead up to a huge, huge war games match with Hogan and and Holland Nash and the Giants and maybe Savage, whoever's and the that fifth man for NWO versus those five guys representing WCW. And when it's all said and done at the end of the night, Brett and Sting and are they're gonna double sharpshooter two guys and they're gonna you know, well sharpshooter and Scorpion Deathlock. They're going to win war games and that's pretty much going to be the last time we see the NWO for a little while. But leading up to that, you know, you could have those matches with Brett and Savage and Kurt Henning and that stuff building up to that where you get those NWO guys in there. And and that's where we're off and running. So now Brett has backed Sting as the champion, so he doesn't need to be the champion. He's not going after Hogan necessarily. They defeated the NWO, not yet in a one-on-one match, right? So they're going to go away for a little while. So Brett, now that they've restored order and they've gotten control back of WCW, Hogan gets a nice little paid vacation. Hall and Nash get a nice little paid vacation. They're not going to complain about this. They get to sit at home and get paid for a while, so they're not going to have a problem with this creative, I don't think. Um, So at this point is when I put the United States Championship on Brett the Hitman Hart. And this is where I feature Brett Hart doing what he does best And I've got him in the ring defending the title against Booker T, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit for months. I mean, because basically we've got the whole year after that to build up Brett. And somewhere during this year of 1998, the NWO is going to reemerge and stick their heads out of it leading to a big giant cage match with the top on it. So nobody can get in, nobody can get out. And somehow 
the NWO is going to pull some stunt. They're going to have someone under the ring, something where Hogan is going to get that title back off of Sting. And now here we are leading up to Starcade 1998. We are building to Bret Hart versus Hulk Hogan. And the stipulation is clear as day. If anybody interferes in this match, Hogan is fired. He is gone. He is out of the company. If anybody from WCW interferes, they're fired. So this is going to be a one-on-one match, clean in the ring. There's going to be a definitive winner. There's no cage, no gimmicks, no nothing, just a straight-up match between Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart at Starcade 98. And Bret Hart is going to finally get the win he deserved back in 1993 against Hulk Hogan. And Bret Hart is going to be the WCW champion at the end of 1998. And then this, this is the final death nail in the NWO. And that's it. The NWO is now officially dead at the end of 1998. All that bullshit with Kevin Nash as the booker and everyone else goes away. And now we have a product we can get behind. And then this, now that they've handled it, is when Ric Flair can turn heel and he can have the feud with Brett and they can argue over who the greatest technical wrestler in the world is and do all that. And this is where we get that Randy Savage feud with Brett for the title. And this is eventually where we finally get that, that Sting versus Bret Hart match now that it means something, now that Bret is the tippy-top guy. And then this, in 1999, is eventually where Goldberg dethrones Bret Hart, and now we've officially made Goldberg. We've made all those other guys. Bret could, you know, now that Bret had all those great U.S. title matches with all those mid-card guys that got lost in the shuffle that ended up going to WWF, made them look better, elevated them. Now Brett's got all these guys that he elevated that are stars. Uh, The NWO is not here terrorizing and just becoming stale and running all that bullshit. We could even get an awesome Jeff Jarrett and Bret Hart title match at some point in this, in this era. But like, just, Oh God, like they're, they're, I don't know, man, they just totally shit the bed. And even eventually you could turn Brett heel at this point, once he's the champion a year and a half down the road. And then if you really need to bring Hogan back, Hogan could come back as a baby face finally and give everyone what they wanted. And then he could beat Brett, whatever you want to do is fine, but you had to make Brett the guy you had to do all this stuff. I just don't understand how this went so poorly and they just shit the bed so bad on this other than just that doesn't work for me, brother. And you gave guys too much creative control and too much money and they got to do what they wanted. And Brett came in and, and it, I, I admittedly, even Brett himself said, I'm going to be a good soldier and do whatever they ask. Cause he had enough shit on him leading up to the screw job. So I just, Oh, but yeah, Brett, yeah, you never know. Cause he probably could have been like so mentally defeated to even politic to make any of that happen. Right. That year that you laid out is, you know, if they would have done that, they could have competed hard with the with the WWE or F at the time. That uh, that's how you build a hero, and he would have been solidified because you know the NWO basically carried the company on its back. They were big business, the entire group. If you build a character like that, especially someone who was already on top and well regarded like Bret Hart, 
you could have made a singular dominant babyface that would have carried the company just as much as NWO as a group did. Oh, for sure. But that's the thing. Like, the NWO did. They carried the company. But at that point, at the end of 97, that's when they, they needed to start taking their lumps. And they didn't. And then it got stale. It got boring. Like, dominant heels always sell money. But if you go past the point where where the dominant heel it is becomes just becomes boring and it's predictable and everything after that. It just, that's when you lose people. You, they, they just went a year too long with the NWO. If they would have shut it down, if they would have had Brett come in and break up the NWO with sting and Luger and flair and DDP or whoever Goldberg, if they would have teamed together and taken down the NWO, that would have launched a whole new set of stars and then, but still, you could have had the NWO come back at some point because it was, I mean, realistically, the NWO was the first thing that ever made merchandise money for for WCW. And to be fair, Hulk Hogan was the person who popularized merchandising in, you know, wrestling in the first place. So I just, I don't understand how you can shit the bed this bad. <laughs> it's a conundrum. It's a mystery to this day. You know, and as much as Eric Bischoff likes to pretend that it wasn't the shitty booking and this this angle going so awry that put them out of business and he wants to act like it was all because of the restrictions that the, the Time Warner put on them, it, it's it's because of this. It, it, that's the, the, the way they botched the Sting angle and the way they botched Bret Hart is what put them out of business. They They can try to say whatever they want, but that's real. It was definitely it was definitely the start of the downfall for sure. I like everything you said with Flair and all that. I just think it should go at the end of this after they take out the NWL. What do you think? From start to finish, your th- your thing is a perfect scenario. Uh, I do. The only thing I may have kept from mind was maybe just the dialogue between what's left of the Click, who's now in the NWO, and Bret yeah. Hart. I love that little, uh, like, hey, you know, I got a bone to pick with you guys since your boy ain't here, but you two are. And, you know, <laughs> and I know that you guys more than agree with what took place on the other side. And uh, since you're the closest, and then just starts beating the shit out of him <laughs> or attempting to anyway, or getting a group. I just like, I, I would like to hear that. Uh, that situation come to life on TV uh, just to kind of bring that uh, Montreal screw job up to fruition, like up against the other members of the clique. But uh, other than that, what you laid out was probably the, the perfect way to bring in Bret Hart start to finish. Cause it starts off with a big surprise uh, making someone else. And then a slow build to him just slowly taking over as the dominant hero babyface. They just needed to make some new stars. Like flat out, that that's what needed to happen, and and I just I don't get why their first instinct wasn't. I I, I like I said I'm fine with not putting the title on Brett right away. I wouldn't have, as I laid out here. It's even better to just have you know Brett back Sting, and then it gives him a reason to not go after the title. But he's the protector. You know, he's going to make sure Sting gets a fair shake and he's going to, you know, he's the ultimate good guy in that scenario. And then he's out having these matches against these great workers like Booker T and Chris Benoit and Jericho and elevating them to the next level and making them look like main eventers so that they could go after the NWO guys, too. I mean, I just, oh, what the fuck? (laughs) 
Yeah, plus, and you don't want to put the title on Brett right away because, you know, at the time, good, bad, or indifferent, he did have a reputation of, you know, taking himself too seriously. So if he went to WCW and got the title right away, he would come off as another Hogan. So it is smart to have him slow build and, and overcome and get it rather than, I'm here now, put the title on me. But now, now, see, the thing is, I don't, I don't think Brett ever got the reputation of not wanting to put people over just Sean. Like, he didn't want to put Sean over. Yeah. But, like, he worked with everybody when he was on top. Like, yeah. his first run, because we talked about it earlier, where he was the fighting champion. I would have done that same storyline here with the United States title. You know, because he, like I said, I remember these matches vividly as a kid. He wrestled Virgil for the WWF title. He wrestled the Berserker for the WWF title. He wrestled Skinner. He wrestled, like, he wrestled everybody because the, the build for Brett was after he won the belt. I mean, they had to build him as the championship contender with the title on his on his waist. So, uh, I just, I think doing that same kind of thing and with you know, the U S title and taking down the NWO would have just been absolute magic. And, uh, we would have had WCW still in business. I think, bud <laughs> breaking news, April 26, 1995, Brett, the Hitman Hart defended his world championship against Mantar. <laughs> oh God. Is that a real thing? That's a real thing. So to your he... point, you are correct. He was a fighting champion. Defeating mythical creatures. He is a Canadian hero. Uh, now, I got to say, though, the fact that Mantar had a world title match maybe lends a little credence to your argument a couple uh, weeks ago that Mantar belongs on that mass wrestler list. What do you think? <laughs> uh, right away, just since he brought that up, if Bret Hart had jumped to WCW and just debuted as Mr. Canada. Oh, God. That would have been perfect. He would have ended up on my list and his WCW career would have been saved. You know what? I like to rewrite. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I could see that. <laughs> well, so I just I would like to dive into the I can see that for some of the fans that maybe haven't heard it before. Uh, back in our good old fashioned days, this is what we did. We sat around to book our own wrestling promotion that we were running shows and we would sit around and start pitching ideas. And trying to come up with something serious and real about what we're going to do. And Ron and our good friend of the show, Ty Matthews, would inevitably take it off in a silly direction and start pitching things like Mantar and uh, <laughs> Bret Hart as Mr. Canada. And my response, instead of just saying, guys, you are fucking idiots, this is stupid, my response would always be, uh, I could see that. But <laughs> we won't do it. <laughs> oh, man. This one was much more frustrating than Vader. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Because at least like there was some good sizzled in uh, the Vader story. And we just and you you got to tweak a little bit of it. I kind of like, you know, started from scratch and did my own thing. But the whole existing premise of Bret Hart's run in WCW is frustrating, especially if you're such a fan. So you literally have to start from scratch. But literally, I could have I could have booked an entire year program between him and Glacier, and it still would have been better. Oh no shit, no shit. And and you know what, Glacier probably would have been a bigger star because yeah. of it, because he would have been having great matches every week, or you know every month or whatever. 
oh, this is so much fun. Oh, my God. Every idea. And, and, and again, I got to give Ron credit for this one. The fantasy booking shit was my idea. This one is 100% Ron's baby. The take it up with creative. Uh, and uh, I love it. And this is amazing. And I want to do this a lot more. I cannot wait to keep going on this uh, new segment. We kind of played with it last week, but I feel like today, th this is like more of a conversation piece, and I love the theme of it, and I love the possibilities, and you know, you never know where it's going to go, and I'm excited to keep going. So we like to bring the funny. Obviously, a couple weeks ago, we brought you a lot of funny. <laughs> I'm still I'm still laughing about how hard you pitched Mantar. Like that is like one of my favorite moments in the history of all podcasts ever. Uh, and I got a lot of great feedback, uh, even from my wife. I understand we have a new fan. Uh, one of my wife's coworkers uh, gave her boyfriend the Iggy that we had a nice wrestling podcast. He's a big wrestling fan, and uh, apparently he listens to our podcast religiously at this point. Uh, to the point where he won't do household chores while he's listening to us talk because he enjoys the podcast so much. And so shout out to my wife's co-worker's boyfriend for listening. And uh, yeah, keep listening. Find us on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the uh, Instagrams and uh, hit us up. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you guys would like to hear. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And hey, get on there and tell us our ideas suck and give us your own. Yeah, or if you just want something you want to hear us talk about, us let us know, ladies and gentlemen. You know, Mr. Christopher Davis out there, one of our one of our good friends and you know, most loyal listeners who actually who who goes on the Facebooks and tells us he loved it. Hey, if you got an idea, bud, just send it to me. I will we will kick it around and uh maybe I'll give you a, I can see that. Or maybe it ends up on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, absolutely, this is a lot of fun. I can't wait to do more of these. I think after this, we got another bracket coming up. Oh, yes, yes. We, we can talk about it right now. Just to give them a little teaser, we are going to be bringing you part one and two of factions. We're going to break down 32 factions and put them in the tournament. And we're going to dwindle it down to what the creative team is going to consider the greatest faction of all the times. Don't forget the Darsos. Don't forget the bad friendships. Don't forget the pettiness. I'm excited to get our third man for this bracket, and I'm excited to see who moves on and claims the crown as the best faction of all the times. And I know what you're thinking, that, oh, are there 32 factions? Well, Ron and I sat down and came up with, like, I don't know, 75 factions that could be in this list. So we promise you this 32-man bracket, or the 32-faction bracket, is going to be great. Uh, this definitely will be the most hotly debated one we've had, and uh, I can't wait. So that's going to do it for this week, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, Ronald. You want to take the show off today? Sure, because I see you struggling with trying to end the show, so I'm going to take it away myself. Folks, this has been a while since I've say, said this, but you have just ridden a most excellent ride on the Ron Stoppable Coal Train, but your stuff is... Your... <laughs> take two. Take two, or four, or leave it in. I don't care. But hey, I'm just going to steal yours instead. For Ron Kilborn, for Cole Dawson... We are the creative team, and we bid you a farewell and a have a nice day. We will see you next week, and moi.